Well, Chris is away, and we're taking a break out of our ongoing studies in Matthew. Um, if you're wondering why we're in this passage in James this morning, well, if you come regularly to uh, Bethel Church on a Sunday evening last year, you would have uh, known that um, in the early part of the year, in the latter part of the year, the, the chaps who go along to the 2 Timothy 2 group, sort of training, leaders training, preaching training group, were preaching through James, and for some reason, well, it was a good reason, uh, these verses, these first six verses of chapter five, um, got missed. Uh, they got missed because Nick Breton upsticked and moved to Edinburgh to <laughs> cop out of his preaching slot. So, um, so Chris said to me, "Well, perhaps uh, would I like to, or would I, would I take this passage this morning while he was away, to, so that we had covered all of." James's letter. So that's why we're looking at this passage this morning. Um, And I want to uh, save you alarm because um, my introduction is quite long, probably it's a third of what we're talking about this morning, so don't panic that I haven't got onto any of the preaching points. Um, But we will have some things on screen. I'm sorry there's nothing in the notice sheet. to give you a guide, but uh, there's plenty of space to write um, and not doodle. <laughs> so this morning then, rich or poor, I wonder how you see yourselves. Um, I don't think anyone here has made it onto the uh, Sunday Times rich list yet, um, so not super rich then. Uh, how do you see yourself on the wealth spectrum? Uh, where would you place yourself it's a matter of relatives, isn't it? Um, comparing ourselves, who are we comparing ourselves against? Possibly in your minds at this moment, you're thinking about uh, your peers, other people here in the UK or the Western world. So perhaps you're not putting yourselves too far up that wealth spectrum scale, maybe pushing towards the middle. But globally, uh, make no bones about it. Um, whether on benefits this morning, whether we're part-time employed in a good full-time job or retired on our state pensions or state pensions plus private pensions, we're all rich as far as material wealth is concerned. Um, The median uh, adult in the UK, the median wealth net worth of an adult in the UK is over 500 times (coughs) that of um, an adult in most of the African countries. So we are all rich, as far as material wealth is concerned. And whilst this passage is about rich people, those who certainly have far more than their peers, there are principles and warnings here for everyone this morning. And there's no argument for sitting back and saying, well, this does not apply to me. And as we look at these words that James has written, warning rich people, uh, it's not about condemning those richer than ourselves, the really rich, the millionaires, as though somehow they're beyond redemption. Rich materially and rich and Christian are not mutually exclusive. (coughs) We must recognise God has used wealthy people for his glory and the extension of his kingdom throughout history. There would have been no tomb for Jesus but for a wealthy man. Have you ever noted that in Matthew, where it says, 
And when evening came, there was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. (coughs) There would have been no uh, significant uh, patron, or perhaps we should say a matron, of uh, Methodism at the time of Wesley's in Whitfield, had it not been for Lady Selina Hastings, uh, the Countess of Huntingdon, who used her wealth for the kingdom of God, building 64 chapels, Minister's Training College, supporting mission work in the North American Connollys and many other good causes. And then closer to our time, in this last century, uh, without the godly John Lang of Lang Construction, who was very rich. There will be many, many Christian organisations that would not have benefited. And this man, when he died, aged 99, although very rich in life, his personal possessions when he died were valued at £371. So it's not just about wealth or wealth hoarded that we're thinking about this morning, it's about attitude to wealth. And it's a warning, a warning for Christians as much as those who are not. So just who is James writing to here? Is he writing about Christians or is he writing about non-Christians? Some commentators think James is digressing in his letter at this point and he's just writing about the ungodly rich of the world. He's warning them directly and holding them up as a warning to what happens to those who put their trust in riches. Well, he is most certainly doing that, but I'm of a mind with those commentators who think he's doing more than that because it's a development of what he's written earlier. Now, we know this letter was written to... Jews, to Christians, Jews, scattered uh, because of the persecution. And in chapter 4, he's been warning them about some serious pitfalls in the Christian life. He's identified um, at the beginning of chapter 4 about quarrelling and fighting amongst themselves. Uh, Fighting being driven by their earthly passions for earthly things, um, the haves and the have-nots, squabbling. He's identified that, and he urges them to mourn in repentance and to weep for that uh, sinfulness, those sinful actions. He goes on to mention about the pitfall of speaking evil about one another, bad-mouthing each other, and passing judgment on one another. We see that in verses 11 and 12. And then he goes on to uh, the passage that Sarah read for us. Come now, he says, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there, trade and make profit. It would seem that James is addressing um, those believers who are businessmen. Uh, He is identifying there their fixation on improving trade, growing their profits. Uh, And it seems as though it's become an all-consuming focus for them, this increased turnover, this increased profits. And he charges them with arrogant boasting. He says all such boasting is evil. And he reminds them that none of us know what tomorrow is going to bring. Let's just pause at that point because that has a ring to it, doesn't it, of one of Jesus' parables. The parable of the rich fool. Remember Luke wrote about It's uh, the words of Jesus. And he said to them, take care 
Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus' parable, Jesus' warning, and it seems as though some Christians here were falling into this kind of same folly by their pursuit of uh, profitable business. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy when he was thinking about those who wanted to be rich. 1 Timothy 6, he wrote this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So at the start of chapter 5, I think this is just a continuation. James is writing to these same people. Verse 13, chapter 4, Come now, you who say. Come now, you businessman. Chapter 5, verse 1. So come now, you rich. Those of you who have traded and increased your profits and have become rich, come now. He's challenging them in as much as those who are the ungodly rich of the world. It's a sad thing, isn't it, that James is addressing Christians here who have been seriously derailed by the wealth in their life, seriously derailed in regard to their walk with God. And they need a big wake-up call, and James doesn't beat about the bush in giving them that wake-up call. Now let me say this, that there's no doubt about it that at the end of time there will be rich people in hell. Jesus made no bones about that. He told the story of the rich man and Lazarus, if you remember that, in Luke chapter 16. He said there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. He goes on to say that rich man also died and was buried and in hell, being in torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. There was... A rich man of this world who died and gone to hell and he was certainly weeping and mourning for the miseries that had come upon him. And then, of course, Jesus reminded us in the parable of the sower, doesn't he? The deceitfulness of riches, likened to thorns, choking the life out of the stem of corn until it died. And so it is possible that there might be some there in these scattered groups of Christians that are reading James's letter who have heard the gospel and appeared to have received it but who are now as it were that seed that's been sown among thorns and the riches those thorns have proved um, their actions their faith isn't true at all 
the riches of this world have choked the very life out of them. Paul said to Timothy, through the craving of riches, it is through the craving of them that some have wandered from the faith. So I believe in this section, this chapter 5, the start of chapter 5, James is telling these rich believers who have become derailed in the Christian life what is the ultimate end of the unrepentant rich. He's telling them this in the hope that they will weep and mourn in repentance, they will stop and consider their folly and their wickedness and just exactly what misery might befall them. So we come to this passage and we have uh, the rich and their end. I've called it a pitfall. Well, Chris gave it the title, The Rich and Their End, many, many months ago. I've called it a pitfall to be avoided. We see in these first verses the coming misery forewarned. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded. Ah, oh, you say, not much of a metallurgist, James. Gold and silver don't corrode, they don't uh, rust away. Well, I think James is just making a point here. It's as though your gold and silver has become nothing more than a base metal. It's corroded and rusted away. Just take a look at those pictures. That is what all our stuff is ultimately going to end up as. Is it really so important to us, all our stuff? The wrong attitude and we will have uh, a coming misery waiting us. And he says there are going to be evidence against them. Those who have made the pursuit of wealth their goal and their objective will be exposed for the people that they are. They're amassed wealth, they're amassed material things that will be of no value whatsoever at the last judgment. How foolish for them and how foolish for us if we take our eye off eternity and focus simply on the here and now. What misery, it says, will be theirs in that judgment, that fiery judgment that Jesus speaks of. Like the rich man in Lazarus' story, they will be tormented by the very things that have been their goal and obsession in life. It says... There will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. So a coming misery is forewarned. But then these rich believers, their conduct has been exposed. Behold, the wages of the labourers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached their ears of the Lord Jesus. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. The wages of those who have mowed the fields 
they have kept back by fraud for their increased profits. And they have condemned them, even murdered them indirectly. James is speaking to the employers, the landowners, landowners have been far from fair in their treatment of their workers, even to the point of withholding their wages. They're the fat cats of industry and commerce of their time. And it's been so throughout the centuries, hasn't it? Now, at this particular time, uh, this would have been very significant. It would have been a very significant disregard of God's instructions to Israel, to the Jewish people, through Moses. Uh, back in Deuteronomy, uh, God had said this through Moses. You shall not oppress a hired worker. This is Deuteronomy chapter 24. Uh, 14 and 15. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Leviticus 19:13. Similar vein. You shall not oppress your neighbour or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Some clear instructions. And this is what the landowners were not doing. Oppressed and underprivileged. Oppression of the underprivileged. That uh, takes place all the time, doesn't it? The rich hold the power in this world, it seems. They are powerful to the point that they oppress the poor to the extent that the poor can't improve their lot in life or they either become, uh, or become poorer still. And they're not able to resist those who hold the power. In fact, James states here that such people don't even make an attempt to resist the oppression. The rich were condemning the poor. They were condemning them to a life of misery and even in some cases it would seem resulting in their deaths. You have murdered the righteous one. How these people here stand condemned. Lord, how they've got themselves derailed in their Christian lives. There may even be an illusion here to the way the rich leaders had oppressed the Lord Jesus Christ who had condemned and murdered the truly righteous person who indeed offered no resistance at his trial and crucifixion. How does this conduct look today in our generation? Let me read you a little quote from Tim Keller in his book um, Generous Justice. He writes this about our present age alluding to what people are doing but shouldn't. They, that is business owners, should not squeeze every penny of profit out of their businesses for themselves by charging the highest possible fees and prices to customers and paying the lowest possible wages. Instead, they should be willing to pay higher wages and charge lower prices that in effect share the corporate profits with employees and customers with the community around them. This always creates a more vibrant and strong community.
food for thought. But then we also see in this passage Jesus' teaching ignored. Remember Jesus' teaching? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. What were they doing? It says verse 3. Sorry. Uh, Yes. The end of verse 3. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Last days, this period of time which we live in now, this time between Jesus Christ's resurrection and ascension to heaven and his ultimate return to establish his kingdom and the new heaven and the new earth that's to come. These people have done the very thing that Jesus had warned against. You have lived, says James, you have lived in luxury and self-indulgence and fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. The material things of this world and its pleasures, good as they are, have consumed their minds and activities to the exclusion of their living to please God. We need to ask ourselves that question. Are they consuming our minds and activities to the exclusion of our living to please God? Are we serving money and not God? Remember Jesus' words, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is teaching, ignored. So we've seen, sadly, what some of the rich of James's day were doing. A really big pitfall to be avoided. But it isn't just about, uh, don't do what the ungodly rich have done, or the derailed believers have done. The scriptures do give us some good guidelines as to the do's and don'ts of living as wealthy Christians, which, in a global spectrum, we all are. Let me just take you to... I can't take you to that because it's clipped on the battery. I'll read it to you. But it's 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 17 and 19. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That's 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. Notice that charge, don't be haughty or arrogant, as the NIV puts it. James has earlier told the businessmen, at the end of chapter 4, not to boast in their arrogance about what they plan to do and with regard to their increased trade and profits. Now we need to recognise that God has made us all very different people. 
with very different skills and abilities. There have always been some who have the ability to create wealth, who have business acumen that results in them making more money than others, of owning more. God knew that, which is why he gave instructions through Moses, wasn't it, way back, for land and property to be restored in the year of Jubilee so that there would never be a super-rich end of a wealth spectrum and there wouldn't be a totally destitute one either. So what are some principles then for us, looking at that verse in 1 Timothy, those verses in 1 Timothy? Well, don't flaunt, don't boast about the wealth that you do have. I expect we've all met them, haven't we? Those people who are always pointing out the new things that they have, uh, the new things they've bought and telling you how much they cost, wanting to either impress you with how wealthy they are or make you feel envious. Well, don't be like that. Wealth in itself is not sinful. God has used wealthy people. It's the attitude to it by which we stand or fall and how we use that wealth by it we stand or fall so don't boast about it or flaunt it that's one directive to follow don't put your hope and trust in money and possessions says uh, Timothy don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches there's no certainty about them they can be here today and gone tomorrow stock markets crash material things deteriorate and become worthless and end up on the scrap heap, those scrap heaps, pictures we were looking at. Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy this, Godliness, a little before that passage that we, we read, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. That maxim is so true, isn't it? We bring nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. So why should we focus so much on the things that we own and possess? At the end of time, when we stand on that judgment day, the first and most important thing that our trust is in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. There is no other way of salvation. It can't be bought with our earthly wealth. Don't put your hope and trust in money and possessions. Third principle, rely on God and what he has given you. Rely on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God is the provider of everything. We have so much more to enjoy than just wealth and possessions. And we should trust him for all that we need, not all that we want. We have that in scriptures, don't we? And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That's temporal things, but spiritual things far exceed the temporal things. But our God will provide them. And if we have wealth, well that doesn't mean we can't use it to do enjoyable things. The rich that James is warning are charged with living in luxury and self-indulgence. That kind of opulence, that extreme comfort. But it doesn't mean that we can't from time to time enjoy 
really pleasurable things or what might even be called self-indulgent. Ladies, or even you chaps, if you're that way inclined, that doesn't mean to say you can't occasionally go and have that spa treatment and enjoy it, if that's your thing. Or, fellas, if, uh, if it's that driving experience or experience day that you want to do and your birthday's coming along, that doesn't mean to say you can't go and do it. There are good things to enjoy, but it's the extent to which we pursue these things and how much focus and obsession we place upon them. We should always be checking that we're not obsessed with them to the point that we cease to be generous towards others. Which brings me to the fourth principle. Be generous and ready to share with others. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy. The rich are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. If you're rich, be sure to be rich in good works. And it's not just about giving money away. It's about sharing time, homes, possessions, food. We can do all of the latter, regardless of how much money we have. Be rich in good works, says Paul. Now this morning we all need to take and make a serious assessment of our attitude to material wealth. Of all that God has given us, how do we use it? How and where we shop, for instance, so that we're not complicit in the unfair and oppressive practices of manufacturers and suppliers. We need to take a serious rain check on these things. Let me close by reading you another extract from Tim Keller's book, Generous Justice. He's using another example here about... um, wealth and sharing things and God's provision and he refers to the manna that was given to the children of Israel in the wilderness for another example writes Keller see how Paul uses Exodus chapter 16 in 2nd Corinthians chapter 8 which is all about uh, money and giving it away in the desert God provided for the material needs of his people with manna that appeared in the mornings and that had to be gathered Even though some were more able gatherers of manna than others, all manna was distributed equitably so that no one received too much or too little for their needs. Any manna that was hoarded simply spoiled. It became rancid and full of maggots. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul interprets this as an abiding principle for how we are to deal with God's material provision for us. He likens our money to manna. Paul teaches that the money we have is as much a gift from God as the manna was a gift of the Israelites in the desert. And though some of us are more able gatherers, that is, some are better at making money than others, the money you earn is a gift from God. Therefore, the money you make must be shared to build up the community. So wealthier believers must share with the poorer ones, not only within a congregation, but also across congregations and borders. To extend this metaphor of the manner, money that is hoarded for oneself rots the soul. I was really, really challenged the first time I read that. 
Money that is hoarded for oneself rots the soul. So I conclude. Come now, you rich. Do you need to weep and mourn? Are you laying up treasure in the last days? Are you serving money and not God? Take heed to this passage, to the ungodly rich and their end. Avoid the pitfall of hoarding wealth. Follow Jesus' example. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves do not break in and steal. Amen.